is the Angel Next Door podcast, where we will talk about all things angel investing, what it is, who does it, how do we find them, what does it mean to invest in an early stage company. If you have ever wondered how you can affect the change you want to see in the world, then tune in to learn more. Hi, everyone. In this episode, I'm talking to my new friend, Jenny Lane, CEO of the Ohio Impact Fund. Jenny is doing some amazing things to make change in how all entrepreneurs, regardless of gender or race, can get access to capital, and how she is helping to educate people of all socioeconomic levels to know more about how they can get involved. We talk about equity crowdfunding, and if you've been following some previous episodes, we're going to talk more in this one about investing through a donor-advised fund using philanthropic dollars, one of my new favorite topics. Enjoy the show. Well, hi, Jenny. Welcome to the show. Happy to have you on today. I'm very excited to be here. Thank you. Yeah. So as you know, the show is called The Angel Next Door, and we're always wanting to educate people on how did they learn about angel investing and how did they get involved with it. So maybe you can start by telling us all about your journey. Yeah, absolutely. So I became aware of private investing maybe about five years ago when I realized that there had been such a disconnect between who could invest and who exists in the United States. So if you're not an accredited investor, that really bars you from a lot of things. And that rubbed me the wrong way. So I really got into things from the crowdfunded private equity point of of view. So I was running crowdfunding campaigns for private equity for a couple organizations so that people who didn't necessarily meet the requirements to be an accredited investor could still put their dollars in smaller amounts into private deals. So I was really very much about the democratization of access to private investment. And then, you know, I am also personally not an accredited investor. So I was looking for ways to have more of a significant impact on the type of people who are getting funded and the type of ideas that were getting funded. And so I kind of made my way over to the fund management side of things. And I currently work in the venture capital area, putting investment dollars into founders on behalf of two or three different funds right now. That is awesome. I love everything that you're saying here. So we have actually had a couple people on the podcast in the past to talk about crowdfunding. So let's just start there. So maybe you can tell us a story or two about the types of companies that you were helping when you were doing the crowdfunding. And then what were some of the platforms that you liked? Uh, So I actually built... I didn't personally build the platform, but my organization that I worked for built it. They ran the first crowdfunding private equity campaign in America because they had been doing it in Europe forever. So didn't have any of those wonderful tools like WeFunder or Start Engine. There did not exist someone who could make it easy on you. So we did we did kind of everything ourselves with our own broker dealer on the wow. back end. So as you can imagine, this is a very different type of investment and something that requires a lot of education. Because most people, they think if they put their investment into something called equity, that they're going to see promised returns. And just like any other private investment, 
private equity in the crowdfunding sense, you can't guarantee that either. So I spent a lot of my first couple years running these campaigns, doing a lot of investor education on what private equity is like, what you should expect from the organization, what additional perks you might be getting in addition to your equity. So that is is slowly, I think, becoming more understood and, and definitely more prevalent in the investment landscape now that there are organizations like WeFunder and Start Engine. Right. Can you give us an example of some of the companies you were helping? Crowdfunding equity isn't right, obviously, for, for every business, but where it does really succeed is, is where you have the ability to give your investors access to your space, access to your product, access to whatever you're doing in more of an intimate way. So in that sense, breweries, restaurants, cafes, you know, community organizations can really take advantage of, of the equity crowdfunding piece. So I mainly ran it for a national brewery. So our benefits of ownership came with discounts on beer and invitations to really cool festivals and things. So we were able to really add value to the, the small piece of equity that people could own. That is so interesting because we actually have had a CEO of a company called Really Good Boxed Wine come on the podcast, and he did some of his fundraising through equity crowdfunding for his wine. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I've actually met him as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like the when you have something, a product that people can enjoy and share, uh, the being able to own a piece of the business is exciting to, to some of the drinkers or eaters or participants in your business. Right, right. That totally makes sense. So then how did you get involved with the Ohio funds and tell us how those have evolved? Yeah. So after doing that crowdfunded equity, I was, again, a little unsure of how I could have a bigger impact. It was very cool to work in this new type of investment space, but I really wanted to find a way that I could have like a bigger say in a company and really uplift founders from areas that are typically underserved. So, you know, women, minorities, LGBTQ, all of that. So I just had these thoughts and feelings and shared them with all of my friends. And, and they connected me to someone here in Columbus who was running multiple impact-based funds. So we have a fund that's devoted entirely to founders in the LGBTQ space. And then we also have a fund that I'm running the head of called the Ohio Impact Fund, where we're trying to intentionally put capital into startups that have figured out a way to solve some kind of social, economic, or environmental issue through their product or through their service. So we're trying to, to show that you can have a double bottom line in venture investing and put your dollars into somewhere that you're going to get returns and hopefully also do a lot of good for your area or your space. Oh, I love that. I mean, 
we were just talking about this before we started recording that, you know, the TED talk that I just did at TEDx Charlotte, that was the theme. Like you can do good while doing well. So everything that you're doing, Jenny, is just so amazing. I'm so happy to hear about this fund and maybe has the impact fund made any investments yet, or you're still in the process of putting it together? It's a little bit of both. We have raised about 40% of the fund. So we still have a couple million to go in terms of raising, but rather than sit on capital or deploy capital calls, we invest as the dollars come in. So we've had a couple investments working for us for a little over a year. And we have invested a total of about a million into 10 different companies. And right now we're going through our end of 2022 report, right? To see how we did. And it looks like our unrealized multiple on invested capital is 1.7, which is better than one and growing. So we still have eight years to see how those deployments that we've made do, as well as a few more years to, to make some investments, hopefully all of the money out by the end of 2023. Oh, I love that. And can you give us a couple examples of the companies that are in the portfolio? Sure. We have a company that's working on the digitization of cash payments, which will really help that 30% of America that is under or unbanked. So it's hard to build credit if you operate only in cash. So this solution right now is working in the space of education and healthcare payments that are typically made by underbanked families in cash. So it's it's creating a way to digitize that actual transaction. And hopefully as the, the tech grows, we'll have a big impact on the growth of wealth for those communities that are underbanked in Ohio and, and across the nation, hopefully. So that's one really good example. Another really fancy example would be where we have a hydrogen fuel cell company. They are looking at creating basically a new energy grid based on on hydrogen, where once you have these hydrogen battery packs, there's no such thing as having to charge them with solar or with gas or with any other kind of power source. They are self-contained and self-charging. So they ha- that has a ton of applications from vehicle mobility to you know the entire grid of a city. So they are working right now on you know everybody likes a really cool story. So they're working on this really beautiful car that runs on one of these battery packs to kind of show you you know how far you can get on a charge from hydrogen as opposed to a charge for a Tesla or a, some other kind of electric or vehicle. Wow, that's neat. Yeah, so everything from financial access and technology to green energy to access and equity in healthcare, all of those fall kind of under our our impact umbrella. But really, it just needs to be a group of people or a founder solving a problem in a way that's scalable, that can make their investors money and make the world a better place. I love that. That's a very nice and succinct thesis. (laughs) I like it. So 
one of the other, I just love that you're on the podcast today because so many of the things that you're talking about are in line with some of our previous guests. And the one thing that I know you and I are both very passionate about is how do we get more people to be able to use the money that is sitting out in donor advised funds to be able to put that money to work and help create some of the change that we want to see in the world. And we've had on the podcast already Alicia Griffey from Daintree Capital, who is doing a little bit with this, but I know this is a huge passion of yours. So I'd love to hear your thoughts. Yeah, I've spent probably the last 12 months really digging into why donor advised fund capital sits and what can we do to kind of loosen it. So for example, like I'm based here in Ohio, the six largest cities in Ohio, their community foundations combined have over $1.7 billion in donor advised funds. Before we get too far into it, because I'm realizing there's probably people that maybe didn't hear the previous episodes. So maybe just explain a little bit about what a donor advised fund is first. Absolutely. So Lots of folks make donations to charity, to organizations and nonprofits that they believe in. A lot of people choose to give in the form of a donor-advised fund, which means you give the dollars now and you get your tax break now. And the foundation that you give your dollars to or the manager of that donor-advised fund does typically end up being some kind of city or community foundation. Now owns your asset. They have your dollars but you are able to advise them on the deployment of those dollars. And I think what's happened is because there's not a ton of regulation from the federal or state level, there's no law that states how much a foundation has to give out of their donor-advised fund dollars. So what's happened over decades and decades is organizations have built up a huge amount of assets under management in their donor advised funds. So we're looking at, you know, millions to billions. And it's just sitting there. Sitting there, invested in things like an index fund or a mutual fund. So somebody is still managing that money and it is invested somewhere, but it's not necessarily invested to do good work. Mm. So for example, there could be plenty of, and again, we can't know this without digging into someone's financial papers that are not necessarily accessible and are not included in the 990s of nonprofit organizations. But there are probably plenty of people that are invested just straight into or organizations that are invested just straight into index funds that include oil and gas or include organizations that don't have any kind of ESG framework. So while the dollars are in in the system, they're in the the market, they aren't necessarily being put to any kind of charitable use. Right. Interesting. And so what are some of your ideas about how we could change this? Yeah, there's some really interesting organizations that are working on getting those larger community foundations to consider impact investing as an arm of their donor advised fund. So that would mean you've made it a charitable contribution, you've gotten your tax break, but you want your your dollars to go towards, for example, our fund that's investing in 
entrepreneurs that are underserved and developing technology and systems and products that are hopefully bettering the world. You can then move dollars from a donor advised fund into an entity like a investment fund like ours. The only catch is the money that you make off of it goes back into the donor advised fund. So while you don't make any additional dollars as the investor, because you've given your your charitable dollars to the donor advised fund organization who is acting as the investor, you can still build additional charitable capital with dollars you've already written off as, as gone from your pocket. Interesting. So you found that in the six major cities of Ohio, there is well over a billion and a half dollars that are sitting in donor advised funds not being utilized the way they could be. Right. So every nonprofit is required to report on dollars in, dollars out, whether they're direct donations or submissions into a donor advised fund. So looking at those six major cities, of all of them, only one invested anywhere near the amount that they received in donor advised fund dollars for just that calendar year. So everybody else is taking in that donor advised dollar and not expending that whole amount, which is fine that there's no rule. Your donors have to actually advise you on these dollars. So, But if you do that for decades and decades and decades, you end up like the local foundations here in Ohio who are sitting on upwards of each like 600 million in a donor advised fund. Wow. So what is your message to people what they should do? Yeah, it's I mean it's a hard nut to crack, right? Because there isn't any kind of legal or accounting system that benefits the use of the donor advised fund dollars, right? It only benefits you as the donor at the very beginning of the process. But if you are very sure that you want your capital to be at work at the community level, at work with entrepreneurs who are trying to build important solutions, then really it's up to the the donor to really kind of harangue their, their foundation or their sponsor of their donor advised fund and request that they want this option available to them instead of just, you can put your donor advised fund dollars into this scholarship or this fund or whatever. You could then put your donor advised fund dollars, maybe in there's a final bucket that's like, I would like mine to be invested and then returns perpetually invested in this impact investing arm of the foundation. So it really has to be donor-driven. It has to be from the people who have those significant dollars and community foundations working to get the change that they want to see in the, the nonprofit landscape. And then from my end, I'm working really hard. And, you know, if you're a fund manager or involved in this space, I'm working really hard to connect those national organizations that have figured out how to move the capital safely and how to legally do all of these things to the financial managers of these large foundations. Wow. 
Yeah, it is a tough nut to crack, definitely. And I think just the more that we keep talking about it and the more awareness, I mean, I could go and open a donor advised fund and a lot of people do this, but then I'm just thinking I'm doing it so that I have my donor advised fund. I get my my tax deduction at the time I do that. And then I have designated whatever 501c3 charity that I want the money to be going to in the future. But we're saying there's there's a medium step where you could be actually using those dollars to create change. It could be invested. Those returns, though, will never come back to me. They would only go back to the donor advised fund, which eventually could go to a 501c3, but not back into my pocket. Right. So you could significantly grow your charitable impact by investing in the market of for-profit companies with your charitable dollars. So, I mean, just like all of us know in terms of angel private investing, it's high risk, high reward. It is an alternative asset class and by no means meant to be your entire investment strategy. Right. (laughs) But you can choose to do the same thing with your charitable dollars through a donor advice fund. So you're multiplying your impact on nonprofits and hopefully creating products and services in the actual market for improved equity access, environmental outcomes, et cetera. So you can have almost like a double double impact with your charitable dollars. That makes a lot of sense. So I've got to ask you, because a lot of people, when they think about places where there's a lot of entrepreneurial activity and buzz, Ohio isn't high up on the list of where people think, but there's a lot going on in Ohio. And I know the state of Ohio is very good at helping to support entrepreneurial activity. So maybe tell us a little bit about what's going on in Ohio specifically. Yeah, I think like one of the best things about Ohio and and thus the surrounding area of the Midwest is the driving force is often collaboration over competition. So despite the fact that we are not Chicago or we are not New York or San Francisco, we work very closely with the major cities across the Midwest to grow capital in our space, right? So like the coasts have it all, but we want to see more of that come back to the the area of America that's really working on, you know, developing in these new and different ways. So Ohio is very focused, I would say, it seems like on health tech and insure tech, that tends to be where a lot of our, our startups have found success. But because those startups have found success, now we have these incredible support systems built, especially in the the three C's, Cincinnati, Cleveland, and Columbus, of accelerators, of funders, of people who are looking to uplift the citizens of Ohio and like create a better space for all of us to kind of kind of live in. So I, you know, we have everything from SSBCI dollars from Jobs Ohio to, you know, the the Midwest location of of Drive Capital is in Columbus. So there's a lot of of people that have decided that dollars in the Midwest are an important place to go. I love that. That's so great. And I spent a lot of time in Pittsburgh, so I'm 
right there with you on all the cool things that are happening in the Midwest. Well, Jenny, thank you so much for being on the show today. This has been awesome. I love everything that you're doing. And I'm so happy that you are working so hard to help all of these entrepreneurs and to help be the change that you want to see in the world. I really appreciate it. Yeah, I'm so happy to be included. And thank you so much, Marsha. If we want to be the change we want to see in the world, we need to invest in the change we want to see in the world. And what's the best way to learn more about that? Sign up for a class at the Ann and Bill Payne ACA Angel University. Classes are offered often. Look at our website, angelcapitalassociation.org for the schedule. We offer everything from angel investing basics, which include fundamentals, risks, due diligence, term sheets, valuations, returns, and portfolio strategy. And we also get into a deeper dive with capitalization tables, startup boards, and exit strategies. And if you're not already a member of the Angel Capital Association, you can become one for as little as $250 for the year. And that will give you access to discounts, free webinars, networking, and much more. We'd love to have you join us. The Angel Next Door podcast is informational and not intended to serve as legal, tax, accounting, or investing advice. Our speakers and hosts are thoughtfully selected for their educational value but their opinions are their own and do not necessarily represent the views of the Angel Capital Association. And the Angel Capital Association does not specifically endorse the use of presenters' products or services. Listeners of the podcast should consult their own tax, investing, legal, or accounting advisors before making important financial decisions. All warranties, including accuracy, completeness, and suitability for specific purpose are disclaimed.